Welcome to my podcast, I'm a Mum Fix My Life. I'm Antonia Jones and today I've got a very special one-off podcast on mental health to support the many initiatives to raise awareness such as Mental Health Awareness Week and World Mental Health Day. As some of you may know, I'm a radio presenter on Phoenix FM and I have a monthly beauty and lifestyle feature with Molly Miller who is a regular contributor to my show. I caught up with Molly who is a single mum to hear about her challenges with mental health. And today Molly's going to share personal experience of mental health. Molly was at a point in her life where she admitted herself to the Priory Clinic in Chelmsford, Essex for those with addictions, anxiety, depression and other mental illness. Welcome Molly, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's slightly different today because we always talk about health, beauty and lifestyle. And we yeah. have been meaning to talk about mental health because of your own personal experience yeah. for some yeah. time. You are okay. a courageous woman after reading your story. <laughs> yeah. So Molly, um, what yeah. led up to you admitting yourself to the prior? Because I did put out a post um, this week yeah, regarding that. And uh, initially you'd said um, in your article for the paper that you were not there to review the Priory Clinic in Chelmsford. Yeah, no, but this I've time yeah, you admitted yourself. I mean, first of all, I'll just say, um, when when it comes to these kind of features, you can't prepare yourself for how you're going to be. So, uh, you know, if any emotion cracks on me, you know, it's because it, you know, it was real, it happened and so on. Oh, that's um, fine. Well, basically, I had um, a chain of events, traumas, I call them, um, and I never really dealt with them. I got, I got on with it. So... Prior, um, I'd had postnatal depression when my daughter was born, um, which was very, very, um, it, I wouldn't say it was very severe, but I had to have two years of therapy. Um, I didn't really bond very well with her. And that was because um, I'd been stalked very badly prior to that by someone that, you know, sort of tried to kidnap me. It sounds, this all sounds really horrific. I mean, it was. Um, I've had a lot of illness. Um, I've got a debilitating chronic disease. so. You know, and, and when I when I had Phoebe, um, I had really sort of bad um, obsessive compulsive thought disorder. So I would hold her and think, gosh, what if I just drop her? And it wasn't until I spoke to a few people that they said, actually, when you have a child, sometimes that's quite normal. It was different from baby blues. Um, it was nothing like schizophrenia. It was literally um, a voice on my, you know, it's all saying to me, you know, oh, my gosh, you are completely responsible. You can drop her if you want to and it took a long time well it took about a year and a half before I properly bonded with her yeah. um, and I had to have a lot of um, NLP which is neuro-linguistic programming which basically um, kind of puts you in control it was a, f- a fantastic thing and but after after that went and I got over that and I had my son Freddie and I didn't have any postnatal depression with him and I was fine and that was five years on um, but then I had a lot of traumas that I didn't deal with. Um, I had my, my son was. Um, this sounds very sort of blase, and I'm just sort of sort of skipping this bit, I suppose, just to get on to when I actually had my breakdown. Okay. But prior to um, my actual breakdown, um, Freddie um, at six weeks nearly died of septicemia meningitis. He was in a coma for a week. Um, had to have a lumbar puncture. Um, that was incredibly difficult. And when he came out of his coma, um, after five days or six days and we got him home, I I felt then I had like a, my first panic attack. And rather than deal with it or see the doctor, I just 
blanked it out and did some crazy just did some hoovering okay um, so you just kind of focused on that so, I just focused on something else and I, I didn't I didn't cry I just got on with it um and six months after that I was on holiday I can't mention the hotel for legal reasons but I was on holiday in Dubai and this will always make me cry so and Freddie was kidnapped um wow. he was taken by a babysitter and again I can't say too much about it we we got him back about seven hours later well, it must have been heartbreaking very very horrific as you can imagine um and then after that I had lots of other you know I, I have got this joint condition um I had lots of other things as well my mum was in a coma for a few days she was very ill um after 20 years my marriage broke up um but all these things that I'd ever been dealt with, I just got on with it. I mean, I'd, I'd miscarried one of Stevie's twins, so I've got a lot of empathy and, you know, I'd, I'd been through a hell of a lot. And it seems like you kind of pushed everything back in your mind and it's like you yeah. um, didn't deal with the situation. No. So I'm just hearing the story. So that led up to the point of you actually admitting yourself yeah. to the priory. Yeah. Yeah. What happened was I can remember um, because when you have a breakdown, when you actually have a complete breakdown, you do lose a lot of your memory. And basically what happened was I can remember sitting in um, my rocking chair and I can remember, you know, breastfeeding chair. And I can remember thinking, um, I mean, the children were older, so they were about six and 11. And I can remember thinking, I really don't feel well. It was after my marriage had broken down and I thought this isn't, you know, this this is, um, I, I thought, is this a change of being um, reliant and, you know, having the security for 20 years and then that going away? It was such a huge loss and huge change. Um, and I can remember thinking, I really don't feel well. It felt like I was in a bubble and everything. I felt very disconnected. And all I felt was this overwhelming pain of grief. It was not even like I'd lost someone close to me. It was beyond that and I can remember going to the gym and, and driving thinking dear God just, my ex-husband had met me at the gym and taken the children and because I called him and said please can you just have the children because I really don't feel right and I can remember driving back from the gym thinking just concentrate on getting home and when I got home the pain was so overwhelming the grief pain and the loss pain everything was so overwhelming and I, I'd had this for quite a while and I just put on a smiley face and just got on with it. And I thought, I have to stop this pain. Um, mm -hmm. I have to stop it. I, I needed to stop it. And I, I, I took an overdose. Um, wow. call, I, I called my mum and a couple of friends and said, you know, I've, I've taken an overdose. I don't want to die. I just want to go to sleep for a week. That is how mad my mind was at the time. I thought I could just go to sleep just for a week. Just forget about the pain and everything. This was absolutely... Um, you know, it wasn't like someone did it close to me had even died. It was an absolute overwhelming pain. And I can remember I watched a documentary recently from the girl on Little Mix, Jessie, and she said the same thing, that she wanted to stop the pain. She didn't want to die, which was like me. I didn't want to die. I just wanted to stop the pain. Um, and what happened was I was admitted to Basildon Hospital. And then after a couple of days, they said, right, no, go home. Um, because my ex-husband wasn't living with me, um, I, I, and I had the children, I had, um, friends were fantastic. They set up a rotor to look after me. Um, so I wasn't alone. Um, but then I think it was on about the fourth day and I said to my mum, I'm not well. I need to go into a hospital. And 
I went into the Priory. Um, and what's and, good about this, Molly, is that you were speaking to friends and family. So it was really courageous that you started to speak to family and friends as well. Yeah, I mean, I think what happened with me is that I was scared and I had my dependence. It was very, it was a, a very scary, out of control feeling. And this is the biggest thing, you see, that this is this is what you learn when you have a breakdown and you learn. And this is when I, you know, which I'll touch on about in a minute, but nothing, we, we cannot control anything external. And until we've, you know, we, when we realize that we can't control anything external, so things can happen in an instant, complete change, loss, job losses, you know, miscarriages and so on. When you realize you cannot control anything external except for what's in your own mind, that is the hardest thing because we do not have any control over what happens to us. You know, I mean, you could, you know, and this is what you learn in the Priory and what you learn through therapy. And it's about coping mechanisms with that. So what was and it like the, your um, first day when you went in? So you admitted yourself. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, again, so it's quite patchy, but I hated it. I can tell you now. Um, and I wrote about this in the feature. The first day I went in, I was, I wanted to be left alone. I thought I would go into my room and you've got your ensuite toilet in there and you know I mean I was lucky I had private health care which is why I got into the priory but there are NHS patients so for instance there were some patients that had been at um, you know Broomfield Hospital where they didn't have enough room on the psychiatric wards in the NHS hospital so they would be moved to the priory so you go in there and it's um, you, you've got your bedroom you've got an ensuite toilet but your bedroom door is never locked you cannot lock your bedroom door and if you do, you will have a crash team coming in every 15 minutes. You'll have nurses banging on your door. And if you don't answer it, they just come in. They've, you know, they've got a safety key. There's no wires in the room at mm-hmm. all you, because, you know, obviously people, some people are suicidal. So yeah. you do not have any wires in the room. It is a very basic room. You have these big red alarms next to the bed, next to the toilet. Um, and that is, um, that, 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 that there's a psychology behind it. You know, they don't want a, um, they don't want a hospital or a, even, you know, or anywhere like this to be so comfortable that you want to stay because their whole point is to get you out. So right. everything's very bland. Um, and for, I'm talking, you know, it's a, it's a lot of money. If you're going in privately, you're talking quite a lot of money, but it's, you're paying to be kept safe at the end of the day. They're paying, um, these people to keep you safe. Every, every day you would you would have like a therapy, um, different therapy lessons. You could go to art, you could go to anything. But for the first two days, they just kind of let you settle down, um, and you sort of meet everybody. There's like a sort of reception lounge area as you go in. Everything's obviously to, to get out the building. You need a nurse to let you out if you if you want to go outside, say for a cigarette or something. A nurse has to let you out and so on. Um, but um, they, a lot of it, the first two days was based on just sort of settling in. And I have to say, I, I didn't like it because every 15 minutes, even through the night, you're woken up. And I was like, this is, you know. Do they literally just walk in the room and then that kind of gets you to wake up yeah, automatically they would come in just and, to check? And if you didn't answer, they'd put the lights on until I, I mean, you know, yeah. there was times I was like, no, you've got to let me, you know. And, and they do let you but sleep. It's but understandable they're worried. Though, they check, yeah. That's if you lock the door, you see. And mm. I didn't, I wanted to lock the door because I wanted to be left alone, but they can't do that because they have to keep you yeah. safe. And they're just doing their jobs. So they're, yeah. Absolutely. And they were, I'm going to say now that the staff there were 
amazing, absolutely amazing. But like every other doctor that there is, you will find some counsellors and psychologists that you get on with and others that you don't. So you will find, you know, it, it's the same as everywhere. There was there was a few that I thought were amazing that I really connected with that absolutely helped me on my road to recovery. There was a couple that I probably clashed with as well, you know. So Sometimes yeah, it happens, doesn't it? You just don't gel with people. It yeah, happens. Exactly. It's a natural thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, the one thing that when I wrote about this, being inside so I'd actually called the paper because I you know it's like my feature is not going to be in the paper this week and when the photographer you know I said to them at the priory and they let me have a computer because I wasn't suicidal or anything I was actually allowed my computer in the room and you know so I could type up a feature and so on um and I always remember the photographer turning up to take the photo and he didn't realise that I was impatient. And I think he started taking a photo and I just burst out crying. And he didn't realise, you know, that I was I was in there because I was very good at masking yeah. my pain. I was very good at putting on a, a smile and just getting on with it. Um, but the one thing that I, the reason what shocked me the most, Antonia, was all the impatience in there, all, all the ones that I met, which were quite a few, and you, you have... Um, alcoholics you have anxiety wards you have um the anorexic side you have all all different various um wards and so on everybody was lovely every everybody that I met I would think you'd never guess that they'd had a breakdown or that they'd had a problem we're talking about really successful people we're talking about mothers we're talking about even nurses there was lawyers there was Yeah, because nobody is exempt from um, mental health illness um, in any way, shape or form. It's just the pressures of life which can cause the kind of, you know, the the feeling of feeling down, depressed. Then you start to isolate yourself and all those feelings come up. But it's good to know that you were in an environment where you felt safe as well. Yes, it wasn't my favourite place to be, you know, but we did, there was humour there. With, amongst all the patients, there was a lot of humour, and that was really good. And the, I think the patients looked after each other That's good. as much as you know. And this is, you know, this is what I was I was so surprised about was that there was when you know when when you talk about a rehab or a mental home as it was when I was younger. You know, my, we had Wally Mental Home when I was younger. Um, you know, my, you know, and I used to look at all the patients, thinking, gosh, you know, so you have a real stigma to that somebody yes. might be weak or look look really frail or weak and so on. This this isn't like that. These people were really it was probably some of their success, as you say, the pressure and so on. Yes. Or they just experienced a sudden loss or change that have put them there. Yeah. And and, and um, the kind of saying goes to much is given, much is expected and then this that pressure of being a senior person or, you know, if you're yeah. you're at the forefront in an organization, um I felt yeah. pressure myself, um, just outside in my consultancy work. At times you you've got so much on, but if you don't know how to manage that, then that's yeah. where you can f- and everyone experiences pressure in and some pressure yeah. is good and some yeah. cannot be good. So it's about identifying that. But were you on any medication as well? Do you know what? They put me on some medication and I stopped. I didn't take it. I absolutely hated it. And they put me on sertraline and I didn't I didn't like it. You know, I came off it after, um, well, I didn't even give myself time to be on it. 
and they don't automatically medicate you because mine was I was I was diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder and I was diagnosed with um adjustment disorder, which is basically when you have so much change that you get um anxiety and depression. But the anxiety okay. when you have a panic attack it doesn't stop. It's continuous it's like one long, long, long panic attack and it comes from um it was an adjustment and so on. So were you kind of um in you know, I, I know you and you're quite a calm person. So yeah. when your anxiety kicked in, what was your behaviour like then? Did it change? Were you quite aggressive yeah, I mean, or Everybody is different. So leading up to my breakdown, um, I started um, drinking every Friday night. I was running a lot. Um, it was, um, I was just go, go, go. I didn't allow myself yeah. time to stop, think, cry, accept. I didn't allow myself time to accept what was going on. I was just going for it. There was no what they call mindfulness. Because I didn't want to, I, I just thought the more I could do, the more I could block out these feelings. So yeah. the busier I was, the more I could and block And that's not out the right the way to do things. No, you I'll have to I'll say that now, it, it isn't, yeah. No, you have to accept it. And one of the biggest things, you know, and I, you know, is you need, what they said in the Priory, which they gave me some fantastic quotes, which I'll say now. The first thing is, they said to me is that your mind is like a vase of water. And every single trauma you have in your life is like a huge pebble. And unless you go in and deal with each pebble and take it out, eventually your mind will overflow. And yep. that's what happened with me. So every that's time so you have a trauma or change, you deal with it. You have to deal with it and accept it. Let yourself cry because the crying is like a symptom. It's like a sickness. So if you're, so say your, your depression and anxiety, if you're crying, that is the sick coming out so you have to cry if you keep it in you'll make yourself inwardly ill even more so I can just imagine all those pebbles and if you don't deal with each situation that's why it will just continue to overflow yep as you say and it doesn't stop what happened um you know as I say to me and so I had um my symptoms at the time was well I was crying all the time I had a constant heart racing panic attacks so basically as you said earlier a little bit of stress is good for us because it gives us fight or flight so when yeah. we're faced with a dangerous situation like um in the days you know in the, in the back in the old days if you're faced with a an animal about to attack you or something your adrenaline shoots up yeah. and you're ready to fight but what happens with anxiety and it's especially common today i mean you know depression and anxiety are the two most common um, health, you know, health conditions, mental health conditions. But what happens today is we are not um, regulating our emotions properly. So we're not dealing with our anxiety. And um, we are constantly faced with fear, which doesn't exist. I mean, fear is an emotion that doesn't exist. Anxiety comes from, anxiety is the emotion of fear. So, um, you know, and fear doesn't exist. It hasn't happened. Yeah. And as you say, at this time in this pandemic that we are experiencing, it seems for some that we have got the opportunity to kind of stop and think about our actions and assess what's going on. And you're right. We have so much going on from the social media to um, watching films. There's there's so much going on. Our minds are so busy. Work. That's it. Car, gym, social media. Doesn't stop. We, we have our phones and with a flick of a button, we can look at 
Twitter, we can look at Facebook. On Facebook, we can see what all our friends are doing, amazing life they have. We only see the good points of what they have. We don't see them sitting at home, you know, lonely or crying or yelling at the kids. We we don't see that. We we just see all the good times thinking, oh, wow, they're on, you know, all these quizzes. They've got all their friends. We see Twitter. We are bombarded with Twitter, with fear. The papers, the the headlines the papers have are yeah. fear-based. It's not about and, – and fear is thinking about – it's a wasted emotion. There's no point because you're thinking about something that hasn't happened. The only thing – and this, again, is drummed into you through all the counts that I had and everything else – live for the moment. Yesterday has gone. So the depression and anxiety, they do kind of go, go hand in hand, but they are completely different. So this, again, is what we learned. So depression um, is like a single condition. It's referred to as a single condition, whereas anxiety, um, there's three aspects, aspects to anxiety. You have your thought process, you have your feelings, and then your behavior. Um, so in the priory, you learn to do CBT and you learn how to, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. So you learn how to control your thoughts. And thus from that, controlling your thoughts, you then change your behavior. So the outcome is different. Yeah. Um, with depression, depression is usually, um, defined you have low mood, loss of interest, um, suicidal thoughts, low self-esteem, you feel hopeless, um, in my case, I only ate chocolate, didn't eat anything else. The biggest thing for me is I couldn't, I found it difficult to concentrate. Um, so that was depression. But whereas anxiety, anxiety is more of an umbrella term for many specific conditions such as, um, panic disorder, um, adjustment disorder that I had, post traumatic stress, obsessive compulsive. You can have people with health anxiety. Um, but with anxiety, similar to depression, but you're more sort of on edge or irritable. And most of all, you're feeling scared of the future. You get the panic attack. Yeah. Um, and what, so what, what the first thing that we were taught is to try and act in the moment. So we were taught a lot about mindfulness. So we were taught to, um, meditate, I suppose. They all, um, one of the biggest things that helped me, the, the biggest thing that helped me, was my obviously my faith. Um, so I've got Christian faith, but again, we're taught to um, get some kind of faith, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's spiritualism, whether it's Christian, whatever, because you need something bigger than you yeah. that makes you realise that they, that is in control, not you, because you're not in control. And it sounds awful, your mind's in control, but all the external forces, are not in, you know. You, yeah. You, so you need something to pin, kind of pin that to. You've got historical information as well. So Molly, yeah. I know you talk about the staff and you say they were so helpful and everyone was welcoming at the Priory Clinic. So how long did you spend there? I was in there for 10 days. I think they wanted me in for two weeks. But I was in there for 10 days, inpatient, and then I was outpatient for about three months afterwards which involved just sort of going back and having a one-to-one um with the therapist there um 
Yeah. So, so, so fast forwarding to now yeah. to 2020 and having that experience, that was how much years ago was that? That was like 2014. Yes, yeah, I do so remember. Quite a long time ago. That's yeah. Ago. So your experiences then and now, how much have you changed? I know we speak about anxiety and depression yeah. and as you have recovered, so to speak, if you do feel any signs of feeling anxious or feeling depressed, what do you actually do now? Well, for me personally, I will first of all um, think, okay, I feel really crap. I, I will. I I can't say I'll never get to that point again, but I don't think I will because you have warning signs. Now, the biggest thing for me, and I think this is really across the board for anybody, is alcohol. Now, I was never an alcoholic, and there were alcoholics in there. I'm not an alcoholic, but every Wednesday night, everyone knows I like to have a glass of wine on a Wednesday night and a Saturday night. I will have two glasses of red wine, and that's it. But I I know that if I have more than two glasses of red wine, I the next day um, I get low. I feel low. I feel anxious because of the mood changes. That, you know what wine can do to you. It can uplift you, and then it can send you on a crash. So yeah. um, I know not to drink. You know more than a couple of glasses of wine. So mm-hmm. I try. I try not to because it will give me anxiety the next day. Um, I look, so I know, I know what makes the signs. Um, the biggest thing I did was I got a dog, which really helped. <laughs> um, I got a dog because dogs make you, I know this sounds crazy and not everyone can get a dog, but you can do the for my doggy, which is a great scheme. But dogs force you out every day. So you get out, you meet people, you live in the moment, um, and they force you to get outside. So the biggest thing I do is every day I get outside for a few hours, you know, yeah. or even an hour. But I make sure I do. Um, I, I don't, I, I think I keep myself busy and focused. And if I'm tired, then rest is important. I, I probably don't get as much sleep as I should. Again, I've got, you know, I'm, I live on my own with my kids and I, I only get a break two to three nights a month, if that. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much full on and my youngest has got all you know got autism so it's quite you know it's difficult but I think you just um I know that if I start to feel anything like um low or crying or so on then I would obviously tell somebody I think it's really important to tell somebody and it's worked in Um, your case as well because um look at where you are now and I would definitely say that I didn't know much about um, your experiences, but I see you every month. We speak on a regular basis and to see that you've overcome that and still continued with life, which life does definitely go on. But as long as you have help and resources yes. that you know, people that you can trust, which you do. And, yes. and I can see that in you. So that's why yeah. I say that you're extraordinary. When I, when I, had, um, when I had my breakdown, um, even afterwards, I've got, uh, you know, I've got a couple of really close close, close friends. I mean, one of my friends, um, you know, my best friend, Jenny, um, and my friend, Sue, my best friend, Jenny, she lives in, um, she lives in Devon now. And every single day she would ring me. And even now I can ring her and straight away she'll pick up the phone and say, are you okay? You know? And so, you know, you, I always have, you know, a couple of people that I can talk to about absolutely, you know, anything. And I put my focus, I'm, I always make sure I've got a focus for me to always have a focus. So even after my breakdown, 
every week um, until the paper got taken over by Trinity Mirrors. Um, every week, um, I mean, I didn't get paid for my features. I wrote every single week for five years mm-hmm. or six years, but that was a good focus for me. And that's and what counsellors do say. Yeah, yeah, you have to have have that. And one of the biggest things as well in the Priory, what they did is they said, we'll make a huge list of all the things that give you pleasure. So it could be from going for a small walk. It could be painting your nails. And if you've got depression, your aim is with depression and anxiety, just to be able to do one small thing a day is your first step to recovery. To be able just to tidy out one drawer something that will get you'll look at at the end and think oh good that looks nice you know just the smallest thing you can just tidy out one drawer paint your toenails um draw a picture and even having a book of of gratitude as well that you can write down something good because something good happens in a day no one can say nothing good happens is that you know we woke up the sun was shining even if it rained because the the plants get to be waters there's something good there's one good thing i'm sure we can find one good thing yeah gratitude to be thankful and this is why you know you know some christians every day my first thing is you know I always pray and thank God. I thank God that my children, obviously, you know, especially me, but every day I thank God that my children are alive and breathing. You know, I mean, Stephen Stephen died of sepsis last year. So things do, you know, happen continuously. Every single night, I thank God that my children are asleep in bed and safe. I mean, for me, that's my biggest thing and that I'm safe. Um, And um, I I think, you know, there's a lot of um, physical things as well with like anxiety um so with anxiety you often get a pounding heart you might feel weak legs sweating difficulty breathing um your sleep is very important as well to get good quality sleep which is with depression anxiety it's very difficult i mean a lot of times i'll be up at two or three in the morning wide awake um the one the things that i learned about sleep was to Obviously, I don't drink caffeine after midday. Um, and that includes things like Diet Coke, even chocolate that's got caffeine in it. Yeah. Try not to have any late at night. Don't do vigorous exercise late at night. Um, keep your bedroom light and airy. But the biggest thing is, is that from about six o'clock onwards, I put my phone onto night mode. So it takes away the yeah. blue light. So don't have any blue light, um, in your room. So no TVs. Yeah. Um, what about music yeah. as well? Some meditation music in the background? Do you know what? Yeah. Music is fantastic. Music is brilliant. Sometimes um, I had a great tape of, it sounds crazy, but I had a great tape of dolphins and so on and that kind of thing. And and one of the biggest brilliant relaxation techniques that I learned actually way before my breakdown, it was a long time ago, um, was when you lie in bed and you have a relaxation tape, is what you do is you start off focusing on your feet and you move your feet and then you let the muscles go and relax them and Mm. then you work your way up through to your calves your thighs your neck you you clench every muscle then let it go and the last bit that you use is your fingertips and you can actually feel the tingling and it really does relax It's, it's really really good music again which you just touched on one of my favorite things is to put on some good soundtracks however my mood is Mm-hmm. I will put on some, so if I do, if I wake up and I have some um, anxiety or I've, I've got a lot of adrenaline, you know, I need to be a bit in a bit of my warrior mood, yes. you know, as I call it. And even if my joints are hurting because I say I've got really bad spondylitis and I shouldn't always jog, but I can skip. So I do a bit of skipping. Mm-hmm. I will go out and I'll get rid of that adrenaline by listening to that kind of music and getting out there. 
then when yeah. I wind down, I listen to my Christian music. Yeah. You know, when I'm doing, you know, and when I'm stretching over at the park, I look out at the trees and listen to my Christian music. And you know what? It's music. good that you're out doors as well so molly we are rounding yeah. down for our last minute so any last yeah. few words oh, can i just write the last few words and which is i've got it here um in the priory someone said to me and this is what i always share when a vase is broken into a million pieces you can glue it back but there will still be cracks the best thing to do is take out all the good pieces and turn it into a beautiful mosaic Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And I'll give the number of the Samaritans, the free phone number. Yes, thank you very much. Open 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. If you feel any low, if you're worried about anything, please ring the Samaritans or just tell somebody because that person will be your lifeline. And say to them, you must be clear. Don't just say, oh, I feel a bit down. Say, I need you to listen to me. Thanks so much, Molly. Thank okay. you. And for right, anyone thanks. experiencing any challenges or if you feel like you're struggling, as Molly has said, please talk to someone. We mentioned the Mental Health Foundation and other organisations like Mind, and they'll be able to support you as like the Samaritans as well with a range of resources and advice. So Molly, your story is amazing. And um, I'm sure you it... Tweet me at yes. Ask Molly Beauty yes. or, you know, definitely. Um, AskMollyBeauty.com. They can, um, if they've got any questions. Great. So, thank you for having me. Thank, thank you so much. Thanks for listening, mums. If you've got any questions, get in contact with us on the socials at I'm a Mum Fix My Life on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast I'm a Mum Fix My Life. See you on the next podcast.